Good afternoon and welcome to the Embedded Executive Podcast. My name is Rich Nass. I am the Executive Vice President of Open Systems Media. I lead the Embedded IoT teams for Embedded Computing Design. This week, my guest is Dr. Chris Balance. Uh, he doesn't look like he's old enough to be a doctor, but he's the co-founder and CEO of Oxford Ionics. How you doing, Chris? Great. Nice to be here. I'm assuming that's not a medical degree that you have. I shouldn't. No, it's a, it's a PhD in physics. They tend to be quite common in the, the quantum computing industry nowadays. Quantum computing, great topic. Let is get in there but into that. But before I do that, um, just want to make sure that the audience is familiar with who you guys are. Just give me the very short version of who Oxford Ionics is. We build quantum computing hardware, but we do it differently from other people. We use individual trapped atoms as qubits. I'm we sorry, individual what? Individual trapped atoms. So we take individual atoms and trap them above the surface of a chip. And this allows us to get very good error rates while using chips that we can build in a standard semiconductor fab. Okay. So we're a small company and we're growing fast to about 50 people and about doubling headcount each year at the moment. Okay. You need to explain that in terms that I can understand. What the heck are you talking about? So if you need to build a quantum computer, you need to have your qubits, the quantum bits, to be really very quantum and there's nothing more quantum than an atom you know there's a reason that that people build the best clocks out of atoms and it's because the physics of an atom the quantum physics is really very clean and very simple so if you use individual atoms as qubits you're off to a great start and then you just have to not screw them up with how the how you control them how you build the rest of the stuff out around them what is the rest of the stuff using... that you have to build around it so you need to apply control fields. The atoms are the quantum part, and then everything else is classical control fields. You need to trap the atoms, the qubits, to make sure they don't drift off and fly off. Then you need to control their quantum interactions to make entanglement and to make these quantum operations that build out your quantum computer. Is this so all part this of the semiconductor process? That's right. So what we do is we have a semiconductor chip, which is really just a set of antennas. So we have voltage and currents uh, being applied to this chip. And then these trap, these ionized atoms above the surface of the chip, some tens of microns above the surface, so floating there, and then controls their quantum states. So the quantum computation becomes a matter of turning classical voltages and currents on and off on this chip, and then making sure you have these atoms trapped above the surface of it. So are you just selling that IC, or are you selling a system? We build systems, and it's quantum computing as a service. So we have a cloud service that you can you know, get an API key for, and then send your compute job to us rather than AWS and solve it on a quantum computer rather than a classical computer. And for some sets of problems, that can give you factors of millions speed up. Okay, so to be clear, you're not selling systems, you're selling time as a service. We sell time as a service. And this is great for systems that are evolving very fast, since otherwise if you buy one, by the time it gets shipped and then commissioned and installed, you're six months behind the bleeding edge. Well, how so the kind of people who want then? to buy systems are governments who want to run stuff on there where they want a really clear firewall and you know air gap between any other systems. So we are working with a few customers like that to install some systems on site, but almost everyone else who wants to work with us wants to lease time on a system rather hmm. than buy. And who do you compete with? And I don't mean specifically, but what types of people are, I mean, I, I, I'm not familiar with anybody else's doing what you're doing. So there's uh, a handful of other companies, four or five that offer online access to quantum computers in much the same way. At the moment, this is the hidden secret inside the industry that's that's pretty open if you speak to the right people, but if you read some of the press releases, might not be, which is that all quantum computers at the moment are less powerful than an iPhone on most applications. 
So people use our quantum computers to learn how to use a quantum computer. So when the hardware scales by a few generations and we increase the size of these devices by an order of magnitude or so, we rapidly transition from being less powerful than an iPhone to being more powerful than the world's best supercomputers. So do you actually produce the hardware or are you like the subcontractor who just puts all the pieces together? We produce everything in-house from people, you know, bending metal and assembling, you know, subcontracted out uh, machine assemblies, doing classical control electronics, FPGA engineering, software engineering, all the way through to having microfabrication engineers on staff. So it's very vertically integrated. And who's the manufacturing partner on the semiconductor side? Uh, so we work with Infineon. So we have both some in-house teams that allow us to do very quick turn R&D. We can build out a new chip from a sketch on a whiteboard through to having hardware in our hands in a couple of weeks with our in-house team. And then for scale and reliability and getting this manufactured out, we work with Infineon. You have a foundry based in Austria that's very well optimized for what we need out of it. You need to connect some dots for me, though, because we've always been talking about how quantum computers are still seven to 10 years out and they're not available yet. And you're saying that you're already building them today. Yeah, the real question is, when does it become a computer rather than R&D toy? And in some sense, this is a state of the question of the market. When do you say, if I have a problem I need to solve, at what point does it become economically better for me to do it on a quantum computer versus a classical computer? We're still a way away from that. And then there's the productization of the technology, which is when you say, if I want to wave my checkbook out, can I run something on a quantum computer or do I have to be a researcher in a lab? And that first hurdle, we're still a way away, five years, I think, would be pessimistic, but not 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 realistic. But for the second, are there products there? And can you actually pay to run something on a quantum computer right now? The answer is hell yes. So you're saying that it's the only thing that's in the way now is the cost? It's the hardware development. It's making the hardware powerful enough to solve the most important problems. To give an, an idea of where we're at, there's been a few demonstrations over the last few years of quantum advantage. So this is where people find a problem, any problem, but a mathematical problem that you can run on a quantum computer and get the answer to that we don't believe you get on a classical computer with running runtimes of years. And Google showed this preliminarily back in 2019. They could solve a problem on a very limited quantum system in a couple of minutes that they estimate would take the world's most powerful supercomputer tens of thousands of years. And that's a pretty cool threshold to pass. But the problem they're solving is essentially random number generation and looking for particular random patterns. So this is exciting if you're a, a mathematics geek or a quantum computing geek, but it's not something anyone wants to pay for. The threshold we're now all working towards in the industry is the next threshold of practical quantum advantage, where we can solve a problem that someone wants to solve for their commercial reasons that is now more efficient to solve, faster to solve on a classic on a quantum computer than it is on a classical computer. So what has to happen to drive that into an area of cost that's I'll say reasonable. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, to make it more mainstream. It's all about increasing the performance of the devices. Cost at the moment isn't the major driver of the market. And there's lots of areas out there where shaving something from a compute time of three months to a compute time of a day adds so much business value. We'd really struggle to price high enough to cost ourselves out the market. The problem is just building that raw technology. So it's a space race on who can build out the technology that scales the best and the most effectively first.
And what about the software that runs on that system? Is it the same software that's running everywhere else, just significantly faster, or do you need specialized software? No, it's very specialized. So if you speak to a theoretician, a, a quantum theorist, they would tell you that, or perhaps a, a computational complexity theorist, they'd tell you that a quantum computer is a strict superset of a classical computer, that anything you can run on a classical computer, you can run on a quantum computer. And mathematically, this is true. You could run Microsoft Windows on a quantum computer if you wanted to, theoretically. But classical computing is really heavily optimized. We can do stuff incredibly well, incredibly fast. And quantum computers compared to that, you know, are slow and clunky and error prone. So really what you need to solve, work out, is how you can find the most computationally hard nugget of your problem and solve this on the quantum computer and then do everything else in the classical computer. So a lot of the applications we know we need look like a hybrid of uh, a classical computer running most of the problem, reducing it down to a very small, simple query that then runs on the quantum computer. And if you get this right, you can find you have exponential speed ups. So you can find problems that run in polynomial time. So with scale very efficiently with problem size on your quantum computer, but are exponential in time on your on your classical computer. And that means the difference between minutes of runtime and years of runtime. And one of the things we've been talking a lot about with respect to quantum computing is that when this gets in the hands of the bad guys, they'll be able to crack any sort of code. Um, is that still the case that if the bad guys get one of these things, they can be into anything? Um, there are certain types of code that we know are vulnerable to quantum computing cracking. But people have known about this since about 1997. So most governments are now pretty happy that what they're doing now, what they've been doing for the last decade, isn't going to be cracked. There's a lot of governments out there that are worried about what happens when what they were saying on their secret diplomatic wires in the late 90s or early 2000s becomes public. That will cause a bit of a stir. And there's lots of effort in security agencies to make sure they know when this happens rather than they're surprised by this happening. But I think... Broadly speaking, everyone's now resigned to this happening and probably not being that big of a deal. They just want to know when it happens. It's not you, a it's not an if, it's a when. Do you agree with that opinion? Yeah, so we, we, we know that there are ways of building cryptography and most modern cryptography now is built in a way that's not vulnerable to quantum computing hacking as far as we understand it. It just turns out that one of the problems, uh, factorization of primes that that people built into encryption since it seems so impossibly hard with classical computers. It turns out you can do this really efficiently on a quantum computer. It's one of the jobs quantum computers are almost born to make, born to solve. Very cool stuff. Well, thank you very much, Chris. This has been very enlightening for me. I really appreciate you taking the time. Awesome. Great to chat to you, Rich. That was Chris Balance. He is the founder and CEO of Oxford Ionics, and I am Rich Nass with Open Systems Media.